Good morning, OCC. My name is Mike. I'm one of the leaders here at Ocean City Church. And man, such a great passage. Oh, so good. So good. Mm, just drink it in. Um, so, yeah, Derek's like, you're welcome. I saved that one just for you. Um, Okay, so uh, we are in our Come and Listen series. We're in the book of Ezra, um, and today is the last day. We're at the end. Chapters 9 and 10, we're going to cover today. Um, Zach did a great job reading, um, but I do want to kind of, you know, do not quite a, a Derek special going all the way from the beginning to here, but a little bit. So um, if you remember some of the history of our Israelites, right, they were kind of coming into the promised land, and they were so excited, so pumped up. This was way back when, you know, Moses had just died, and God said, okay, there's going to be a lot of people, and I don't want you to intermarry and kind of adopt all of their practices, because they're detestable. We saw that word a bunch. Um, and, uh, and they like, great idea, this is the land of promise, no way we'll ever do that. And they do it a bunch. Um, over and over again, the Israelites kind of go in and out of, you know, kind of adopt, adopting all of these practices from the people around them. Um, and uh, back and forth, back and forth, and it gets so bad, so bad, eventually, that God exiles them to Babylon. If you've been with our Come and Listen series, we've talked a lot about this. And they're now coming back, finally, you know, basically, you know, God's bringing them back into the promised land. Again, we're coming back into the promised land. And what we just read is they're back, we're all feeling great, and they're doing it again. The thing that they were supposed to not do, they do immediately when they get back. Like, what is going on? This is horrible. Um, and even, and I don't know if you catch this, if you've been reading through Ezra, but at the very end, they basically, so they talked about intermarriage, like oh, all these leaders, they list everyone who did this. In chapter 10, they said, now, these were found some of the people who had married other people. And they just list their names, literally. Like, I, just, I remember reading that and be like, ouch, man, like, yikes. We'll talk some more about that later. Um, but this is kind of where we, we are at right now. Um, and I do want to hit on one thing just real quick, so you don't kind of, in your mind, get off the rails too far. So we saw the, um, the phrase, holy race, in there. Yikes. Okay. So um, before we get into kind of, you know, uh, why, why is this a big deal, right? So just real quick before we get into it, uh, it's not interracial stuff that God was opposed to, right? There's tons of provisions in the Old Testament where people from outside the Jewish culture and race could get invited in. There's provisions. This is how you do it. Um, the book of Ruth like Ruth of the Bible was one of those people, right? So it's not an interracial thing. A better way to think about this is it's, a, it's an interfaith thing. So basically God is telling the Israelites, there are people around you that do not share your core worldview. And so if you, if you marry into that, you're now kind of hitching yourself to someone that does not believe the same things about me that I want you to. And that is, that's why God says, warns them, just don't, don't mix, don't do that because it's going to take you down. And it did over and over and over again. So don't get hung up on that, but we're going to dive in. And I think, you know, there's so many kind of ways that you could end Ezra. Um, and it's just wild, like, you know, this like, the exiles are coming back. It's supposed to be this like joyous, like huzzah moment. And we've seen kind of week after week that it's just not that. 
You know, uh, Dave talked about how, you know, they totally, the Israelites got distracted and just like were worried about themselves. They were building their own houses instead of thinking about building God's house. There's just kind of like a train wreck still. Um, and today is no exception. So instead of like ending on a high note on Ezra, we're like into this and dealing with some of their sins in front of God. So today um, we're, we're going to kind of unpack this. And I think kind of the, the overarching thing that we're going to talk about today is repentance. You see kind of Ezra kind of go through that with the Israelites, with what Zach read, um, and, uh, and that's what we're going to dig into today. So repentance, buckle up, it's everyone's favorite topic. Um, and, and honestly, I was thinking about this, um, you know, the American church, I would say, you know, culturally has an amazing reputation of making everyone feel awful about themselves all the time. It's great. Um, for years, decades, hundreds of years we've been able to do that. Um, and I know probably some in this room, when we start to talk about sin and repentance, like there's, there's some serious scars related to that. You know, you might have been crushed by the church, or um, hopefully not OCC, but another church, you know, trying to re- lead us to repentance by guilt and shame. Um, and that's not how God operates. We'll talk a lot about that today. But but there's some things we need to kind of sit in and rest in biblically when it comes to repentance. So today in our passage, we're going to do three questions. We're going to do very simply, what is repentance? Uh, why is repentance hard? And why is repentance good? Very simple. Easy questions, kind of. Um, so first off, we're going to jump in. So what is repentance? And I want to start with kind of just who is it for? Um, and the answer is very simply, um, everyone it is for everyone. Now, that's non-Christians and Christians alike. And I think kind of culturally, the, the approach for the church is, well, yeah, maybe, but it's definitely way more for the non-Christians. You know, if you've uh, been at a football game recently or big event, you know the guy with like the giant sign, you know, that's like repent or go burn in hell and then like lists all the people, Right. Um, I think that's kind of the vibe that the church really kind of puts out, unfortunately, or that people maybe outside the church think about when it comes to repentance. Um, and he's not, he's not wrong. I don't know if I agree with the approach um, of getting people to kind of like Jesus, but, um, but he's not wrong. You know, Jesus, Peter, Paul, they call people over and over again in the New Testament to repent and believe, repent and be baptized in Jesus, be welcomed into the family. And probably some of you Christians in the room, as I'm talking about this, you're like, yeah, I know some non-Christians that need to repent, big time. And then some of you non-Christians are probably thinking, yeah, I know some Christians that need to repent, big time. Um, I've seen them. I've talked to them. Um, and, uh, and, we're, and we're both right. We both need it. Um, so uh, when I was kind of preparing, I came across, so uh, Martin Luther, we know him. He's a famous Reformation guy, I guess, pretty old. Um, so in his 95 theses, you know, it's a list of 95 things. Basically, he's calling out the church to say, hey, we've gone off the rails, and we need to get back on the rails. Guess what number one was? Thesis number one was, and we got it on the screen. It's short. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is number one out of 95. So that's kind of like a big deal, right? So even in our passage today, God's people, his chosen people, the Christians, um, 
we see here that they need repentance. And repentance, so because it's for everyone, it's not just initial saving faith in Jesus to become God's people. It's for any time any of us screw up, which is all the time. Hence, the entire lifetime is one of repentance like Luther was talking about. Repentance is for everyone. So what does it look like? How does the Bible describe repentance? Now, like any Christian-y things like repentance, I feel like many of us have an idea of what this looks like. Uh, and the image for me that pops up, maybe like a lot of us, is the, like the Catholic confession. Um, maybe there's some like Catholics in here that have experienced this. I've never done it. I'm kind of curious. I don't know. But, you know, you sit in the thing and you got the thing like, you know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And you like, and you just like unload on this past, you know, priest that you can't see. Um, I think a lot of times that's kind of like what our like basis of what this is. Um, and there's just so much more depth to it, which we're about to get into, than just that. So first off, what does it look like? And uh, we're going to kind of walk through our passage in Ezra because it's a great example of a lot of unpacking what this repentance looks like. So first off, what does repentance look like? It it's, starts with a sight of sin. You have to see your sin. Before we can do anything, we have to realize that what we have done or said or thought was actually wrong according to God. It's very hard to repent of something that you don't think is wrong. And at the beginning of chapter 9, where we're in Ezra, you know, remember, like we just talked about, you know, the Persian king is letting Ezra come back. You know, the temple, they're um, returning to the temple. It's been built. You know, they're returning all these, like, things and gold and everything to the temple. They're doing sacrifices. Basically, they're getting back in the groove with God through Ezra's leadership. Derek talked about that, you know, the study uh, what is it? Study, live, and teach the word. They're, we're kind of getting back in the group. It's all coming together, and then this bomb is dropped on Ezra in verse 2 in chapter 9. We're going to read it again. It says, They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. Ooh, the leader, like, led the way. The leaders. Ouch. Um... So as soon as they get back, like we talked about, the Israelites start kind of doing the same thing over again. I mean, can you imagine Ezra? I mean, just like, he, like this momentous thing. We've got all this favor with the king of Persia that just let us come here. Like, we don't know why he did it, but he did it. And then, you know, we're back into the same thing, this interfaith marriage that God commanded the Israelites not to do. We're doing it again. We got in huge trouble before, before we got exiled and we're immediately doing it again. So I, I was thinking about this, just like trying to imagine what like Ezra would feel like. Um, and if, if you don't know, my wife Jody and I, we're both very type A. So you can imagine that, I know, right? Just like, no way. Um, we like a clean house, okay? But when you have four kids, that is a hard, that's a hard thing. Um, so very often, you know, we kind of like hit our limit and we're like, all right, Stop what you're doing. We are cleaning right now. And they all clean. And we're like, oh, good, you know. And then we, like, walk away and then come back. And there's, like, a fort in the living room all of a sudden. And it's like, we just cleaned this place up. So I'm trying to channel my Ezra. And he's like, guys, we, we just cleaned this place up. And, like, you're doing this? Like, what in the world are you thinking? What in the world? And so the first, the first step in repentance, you have to see it. You have to see the fort. You have to see the sin. Um... And I know, right? <laughs> See the sin. 
I hate those forts. <laughs> as soon as they get back, we're in trouble. And so, and, and if you think about now, like the perspective of the Israelites, though, right? So I, I would bet some of them were like, we didn't even know that this was a thing. Like they were growing up in Babylon. Jeez, Babylon. Coming back. There might be some that might be able to kind of like plead the ignorance card, you know. But um, something that we must know when we're trying to see our sin is just, just because we don't know does not mean that God's standard or expectations for us have changed in any way. You know, it's written on our hearts that um, of what is good and what is not. So do we see our sin? Um, and I think for a lot of us, the obvious ones, we could all say, oh, yeah, those come to mind. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I yell at my kids when they build forts. Um, sometimes I drink too much. Sometimes I'm selfish. Like, these are obvious things. But, but do we see the, the less obvious ones, the ones that are the sneaky sins? You know, when you put good things like, your family or your kids or your job or your politics in a higher position than God in your heart. And seeing sins like that is super hard. And this is a good reason of why we get together like we do in a church. Because what's very helpful is when other people call you out on that stuff. Because it's so hard to see. You can't see it yourself. And I was watching, uh, my wife and I were going back and watching through some Seinfeld episodes. Is that okay, Derek? <laughs> I'll repent for that later. Okay. Um, so, but they had some random episode and there was like an intervention. And I like think about that. Like they did this intervention and you've seen sitcoms or maybe you've been a part of uh, an intervention as well. But like it's, this person is like, I had no idea that this was a thing. And all of their friends are like, there's a huge problem. And that's what the church body is partially supposed to be for. To be able to say, hey, you got a big problem and you can't see it. I'm going to help you see it because it's very important for repentance that you see it. So do we see how we're wanting to control our own lives? How we want to write the rules instead of God? Are we self-loving? Are we self-reliant? We have to see our sin before we can move into repentance. So that's the first one. What is repentance? Next, uh, a sorrow over sin. We have to see our sin. We have to have a sorrow over sin. And let's see how Ezra reacts to seeing Israel's sin in verse 3. We'll read it together here. When I, saw, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. So the, the tearing of the clothes, the cloak, and the tunic, that's a very common Old Testament thing. Um, it's like an outward expression of deep grief. You see David do it. You see different kings do it. You see it a lot in the Old Testament. And interestingly, I was reading some of the commentaries, the pulling hairs from your beard, all the commentators were like, that is not something that anyone does. I don't know why. Like, the commentators were like, we don't know why Ezra did that. I guess he was really bummed out. They didn't use that word. But, um, but so, I mean, like outwardly, this expression of deep grief, sorrow over the sin of Israel. But what's cool about this is um, I came across uh, in research and pre preparation, uh, Joel chapter 2. Joel's one of the Old Testament prophets. Um, and he says this when it comes to sorrow over sin. It says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, tear your hearts, and not your garments. 
Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So the sorrow for sin is not a superficial sorrow. You don't have to just look really sad. You don't have to just tear your cloak so that everyone can see that you're very sad. God's not, God's not interested in the show. He sees right through it. God wants us to love him. And, and when, you, when you wrong someone that you love, um, like you feel it different. So I think, you know, this is something that I struggle with, I think, the sorrow over sin. I feel like sometimes I just kind of go through the motions, and um, I just get kind of numb to it, honestly. So, like, but, but imagine, and, and I don't know, maybe it's just because God's God, and he's not, like, sitting right here next to me where I can see the sadness in his face. But think about someone that you love, your child or your spouse or your close friend. And when you, like, do something, like, really wrong that, like, deeply hurts them, I mean, just like the feeling that you feel, um, this is, I think, kind of starting to get to that sorrow over sin. If you, if you like do something like horrible that really devastates someone and you're like, whatever, like you, right, don't love them. You don't care a whole lot about how they feel. Like, whatever, I'm going to go do my own thing. So I think for me and maybe for you too, you know, if we're missing this sorrow for sin, it's just like a reminder of like, well, you know, do I love God as much as I say I do? If I just kind of dismiss this and say, I don't know, I don't want to deal with this right now. Um, I don't want to deal with this sorrow because it's not fun. <clears throat> and honestly, and my, my wife and I were talking about this um, yesterday, and this like sorrow for sin, I think what's hard, at least for us in four kid fort world, is just the time. Like you can't just like, oh, boom, I'm super sorry about that, God. Like, for me, it takes, like, t- I got to, like, sit in it for a little bit. And it's, like, it's, I got to kind of, like, sit and just kind of realize, oh, my gosh, like, this is what I have done maybe to, you know, other people and especially to God. And it just takes time. And sometimes I'm just not willing to spend that time to kind of feel that sorrow. It takes time to wrestle, to feel the weight, to feel that sorrow. So we have to have true, deep, selfless, heart-level sorrow for sin, for repentance. Next thing, see our sin, sorrow for sin, and next, confession of sin. And here, again, we're walking with Ezra here. Um, we see this in, uh, in verse 6. Um, I don't have it on the screen, but it, you know, he, said, he says, Our guilt reaches to the heavens. And then in verse 10, he says, for we have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, when you said, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. So we see, you know, Ezra just laying it out. Here's what we've done. And this, this confession one, this is, this is hard. And this is like, you know, the, our Catholic confession. You know, you sit in the thing and feel horrible. Um, but it is hard to admit, geez, when we are wrong. Super hard. And even like the little things. So this week at work, someone came in and they were like, hey, I'm going to make a trip over the weekend. We were talking about the weekend. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Winston-Salem. And I was like, oh, Winston-Salem. It's like, yeah, it's awesome. Like, yeah, but it's beautiful. You go stop by UNC. Like, that'd be awesome. And they're like, I don't think UNC is in Winston-Salem. And I was like, oh, it definitely is in Winston-Salem for sure. And the awesome thing is we have this Google thing where we can solve disputes immediately and feel awesome about ourselves. So I was like, I'm looking it up right now. It's definitely Winston-Salem. Boop, 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 boop. 
and where is it? Chapel Hill. Yeah. <sighs> so it's like I feel horrible. Like, and that's like something small and something stupid. And I like hate feeling like, oh, like I was totally wrong. So convinced I was right, but totally wrong. <clears throat> but I think when it comes to confession of like, like the things that we are getting wrong, God knows us. As intimidating as confession of sin might be, as terrifying as it seems, we think it might be just damaging to our reputation. God knows it is good for us and tells us that it is good for us. Just a couple of verses, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And I don't know about you, I feel like sometimes um, it, it is easier in my heart to confess to God because I'm like, he knows all this anyway, you know? Um, I don't, he doesn't have to like, doesn't necessarily like audibly talk back, just kind of interest like, easier, like, okay, God, you know all this, so I'm just kind of confessing it to you, you know it anyway, but, uh, you know, but what about confessing to others? That's when, oof, rubber hits the road, man. Now, um, one thing about our confession, especially when it comes to God, is I think, even though maybe that's easy, I think one challenging thing I can give you is to maybe be specific with what you're talking about with God in the midst of repentance. Um, when I was preparing, I came across, across this English Puritan, Thomas Watson from 1600s or something. But he wrote an essay on repentance. And he said, he used this example. Imagine if you went to a doctor and you said, I don't feel good, right? And, and the doctor's like, oh, okay, like I need, I need some more, right? You know, he wants to hear that like, oh, yeah, you know, I was, I was doing this thing, and I fell, and my arm hit, and now it's like really hurts right here. It hurts when I do this, you know, or whatever. Like, you want to be specific because you want the correct treatment. You want the correct healing. Um, and so you be specific. And so in kind of the same way, when we come to God, instead of just saying, God, I'm super sinful. Can you just forgive me? Well, God wants us for us to kind of get in the weeds a little bit, to kind of go into some depth there. Because I think when we go into the depths, I think you see things and understand things differently. Like if you say, okay, I'm just a sinner, but if you like go down, I'm like, well, God, this is what I was thinking, and this is what I did. I think sometimes in the midst of that, sometimes even God helps us go even deeper than that. I was like, well, he, he, sometimes he might reveal, well, you did that, but here's what was even underneath that that we need to address too. I think sometimes we're maybe scared to go in depth, but be specific with God. Um, now, when it comes to each other, man, um, your spouse, your kids, your pastor, your city group leader, your friends, it is hard to confess sins to one another. It is hard to admit that you're wrong, especially to someone that you've wronged. In James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this is another reason why we get together, why we have a family here at OCC. 
Um, it is very sad, I think, that church um, has the reputation of not being a place where you can come as you are. Um, but I think what we try to do here at OCC, what we should try to do with each other and our relationships is um, that we must create that type of environment in our family. And again, like, I mean, just think about, man, um, how radical a group we might be if no one hid their sin or hid the things that they did wrong or thought wrong, that we confessed it to each other. Talk about being a city on a hill while the world looks at and says, I don't know what they got going on, but this person just like tells me all of this stuff. And I didn't even ask. I don't understand. But like that we're just so open. We are okay with not being okay. How revolutionary in the world would that be? Confession to both God and one another is critical to repentance. So even, even our buddy Thomas Watson, this is the English Puritan, Puritan emphasis. He said this. He said, it is a sinful modesty in Christians that they are not more free with their ministers and other spiritual friends in unburdening themselves and opening the sores and troubles of their souls to them. If there's a thorn sticking in the conscience, it is good to make use of those who may help you pluck it out. Like, this is what the church is. Like, so much so that it's detrimental to you if you are not bringing other people in to help you pull some thorns out. Because we've all got them. So, seeing our sin, sorrow over sin, confession of sin, and lastly, turning from sin. Um, and let's see uh, what happened in Ezra. This is chapter 10, verse 3. He says, Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord, and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. So take courage and do it. So Ezra rose up, put the leading priests and Levites and all Israel under oath to do what had been suggested. And they took the oath. So the turning from sin, it's, it's just plainly like just doing something about it. This is us letting the Holy Spirit transform us and our lives so that we're not the same. You know, when Jesus healed people in the New Testament, you know, he would forgive their sins, and often he would say, just like the woman caught in adultery in John 8, he would say, you know, so I don't condemn you, but also go and leave your life of sin. Turn from sin. And now, like, all of this stuff that we are talking about is hard, and this is another hard one, you know? And I think what's hard is, if you're like me, to me this means, like, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, right? I'm going to promise better. I'm going to do harder. I'm going to do all of these things, like, to just, like, work it and try to just never sin again, right? And who has tried that? Um, maybe all of us. Um, has it worked for anyone? If so, I need to talk to you because it never works for me. And I think one of the reasons for that is uh, it's if all I'm focusing on is not sinning, then that's all I'm thinking about. I think instead, when this, like, this turn from sin that Jesus is talking about, it's, a, it's not only that we turn from sin, 
but we also turn to Jesus, and that's where like the actual transformation comes. And then go, going back to my boy, Tommy Dubs, the Puritan, he said this, he said, true leaving of sin is when the acts of sin cease from the infusion of a principle of grace as the air ceases to be dark from the infusion of light. So turning from sin is, is a trade. You're trading the self-reliance for dependence on Jesus. We're inviting the Holy Spirit, exchanging our affections, not just running from sin, but running to Jesus. That's what the turning from sin is. So, to review, what is repentance? It's for everyone. We have sight of sin, even our deep heart sins. We have sorrow for sin, not just superficial, but heart-level sorrow, confession of sin to both God and each other, and a turning from sin, but also a turning towards Jesus. So, there you go. Piece of cake. Sermon over. Um, not quite. So, like, all of this stuff is so hard. There's, there's deep heart-level stuff that is here. So we can understand, I think, a little bit of why Martin Luther made this one number one. Why he said, this is your whole life. This is not just something that you just do, and then it's done. And now you're a Christian. Great. Like, we struggle over and over and over again. Repentance is for the entire life of believers. And I wish it was easy. I hate dealing with this stuff. I hate dealing with, like, where I am drastically falling short. Why can't I just do what I want to do? and not do what I don't want to do. And this brings us to our second question that we'll sit in for a bit. Why is repentance hard? And I think a lot of, I think, I'd probably say that we know we fall short, all of us. So in our life course group, one of the guys that were in there, he said, you know, I think we all have kind of a, a moral compass inside of us, um, which was cool to kind of like hear that image. We know. We know we are falling short. We even, we fall short even of the expectations of ourselves, let alone what God or someone else might expect us. Like we set goals for ourselves and then don't do it. Like we fall short. We, we all know that no one is perfect. So why is it so hard to admit that to God and each other that we're not? I don't know. Why is it hard? The, and like I said, the last section of the book of Ezra is this list of people that intermarried. Ugh. Have you, you should go back and read it. It's crazy. But look, this is what it says. This is the Bible. For 2,000 years it has been written, and it says this. Now these were found some of the sons of the priests who had married foreign women. Messiah, Eliezer, Jerob, some of the sons, they pledged themselves to put away their wives and their guilt. The sons of Imer, Hananiah, Zebediah, of this, I mean, just like, it's a list. There's like 30 names here. It's like, these are all the screw-ups here for everyone to read forever. Can you imagine being on this list? Like, why, but like, why is that so challenging for us? You know, just in case anyone was unsure, here's all the screw-ups, man. And, um, and what I want to talk about, so uh, I've shared with a lot of you, like, my story, but it's been a while. And this is something that is, is really something I had to learn uh, the hard way, like repentance. So, um, so we're going to hop in. Um, so my background, um, so I grew up in a Christian house. And remember, like I'm um, type A, right? So 
My deal was like, okay, that's the rules. Boom, I'm following those rules, right? Go to church all the time, done. Be in the youth group, totally done. I'm going to follow the rules. This is what I do. Um, and uh, I, I was a rule follower. So being in church, it was the perfect place for me, right? If you can imagine growing up. Um, and then uh, things started to take a turn when puberty hit. That was, that was a wake-up call, um, as it often is. And at the same time that that was happening for me, um, this is when, like, the Internet was cranking up. Um, and there's some not-so-good stuff on the Internet. And as I wrote that, I was thinking about this today. Like, um, I realized that, like, okay, I'm old now. When I can say something like that, <laughs> the Internet was starting. It's like, ooh, I thought I would be able to escape that for a long time. But no, I'm here. Um, and obviously, I think, I think one of the first things on the internet was pornography. How could it not be, right? And so, and I found it somehow, um, and, uh, and like in, in middle school, and then really for me, from then on, it was like this, this like vortex of sin and addiction for me. And I think, um, you know, you would think that that would be my big problem, right? It, well, it was a big problem. But the bigger problem was, like, of who I was, right? I was rule follower Mike. I was church kid Mike. I was leading the youth group Mike. I was leading worship Mike, right? And so this whole time, I've got this other thing that's going on that is just a tailspin of sin. And, like, I mean, like, how could I ever let this get out, right? That's, that's, that's where I was. So... And, and it, what was wild is, you know, we talk about the church, and it's like, oh, it's like this whole guilt machine. That's not the church I went to. It was a very gracious church where, like, we talked about the gospel like we do here. Like, it was very open and still. Like, I had this, like, wall in my heart that says, that's fine and dandy, but I'm not going to really unpack this. I've really tried for a long time to just kind of work it out, you know, between me and God and just went through cycles and cycles of, struggle and like pulling myself up by my bootstraps like I'm never doing this again you know and just falling over again and again it was just it was definitely addiction you know and I think about you know what we just talked about in terms of you know uh, what is repentance so like where was I kind of on that thing so uh, I saw my sin for sure oh man it was it was kind of when I would look at it, I just remember just like in the moment, it's just like one thing, and then afterwards you're like, I can't, I, like I just feel dirty. Um, so I saw my sin, how could I not? Um, the guilt and the shame that were on me was suffocating. I'm not sure if that's the same as having sorrow, maybe, but, um, but that was obvious. And there where I think I got stuck is there was no way that I was confessing this to anyone. No way. Because I think the thing at the root of it was I've got this reputation and I can't let that, I don't know how to, I don't know how to bring those two things together. Church rule follower Mike and then this other thing that I'm dealing with that no one else knows about. I knew I had to do something, but I was stuck. I loved my reputation probably more than God, so I stayed silent and told no one for years. That's a hard place to be. Um, Psalm 32, 
It says this, it says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And this is true, like this is how I felt, right? I mean, just like wasting away from like silence. Told no one, I struggled for years in a losing battle. And repentance is so hard. There's so much pride lost so much em- embarrassment. I mean, this is what I remember feeling. I remember getting close a couple of times. Like, I think, I think I need to tell this person. And like getting physically sick. I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. Um, and the turning point for me, there was a turning point. Praise God that there was a turning point. Um, was in college. So I was in a freshman guy's Bible study. Um, and the leader was awesome. Like, so he was this like walk-on receiver for the Gators. He was like a 5'8 walk-on receiver for the Gators. White guy. I don't know how he did it. Somehow he did it. Um, and he was one of those guys that like loved quoting Braveheart and Gladiator and stuff. So naturally I'm like, yes, like, this is awesome. And we were sitting in one of the Bible study, you know, so we got all these freshman guys trying to figure out life. Um, and he was trying to bind us together. And he shared the, these verses from 1 John 1, where it talks about living in the light. And he, he read this to us. He said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what was wild is like, I went, I went home that day and something was different. Just by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit was moving in my heart. Um, and this is something I had read, I've read this a dozen times. Um, and for some reason, God just like unlocked it in my heart. And I was listening to some music in my dorm room that night. Um, and, uh, and this album came on that I, again, listened to a dozen times. It was The House Show by Derek Webb, if you guys know. If you know, you know, it's so good. Um, but he, he did this intro to a song about repentance, and he said this, which like, just, I mean, just, it was just God all over it. I can, I can picture it in my dorm room. Um, and the thing that he said, he said, the, the best thing that could ever happen to us, the best thing is if our deepest, darkest, most embarrassing sins were broadcast on the five o'clock news. It'd be the best thing for us. And you know, all of the years preceding this moment, I would have said, well, that sounds like the worst thing. Are you kidding me, Derek Webb? You are an idiot. No way I'm doing that. But because, like, the Holy Spirit was there, like, I, I heard it, and I was like, yeah, it would, like, that would be the best. That's, that's what I need. And, you know, and he, he continued on. He said, you know, the, this Christian life is not about hiding. It's not about hiding our sin or convincing people of how little we sin." That's not the worth of us as Christians. He said the best thing that could ever happen to us is what happened to these Israelites in chapter 10. Here's all the screw-ups. Boom, 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 boom. Like, like th- th- this is their 5 o'clock news, I guess, on the scrolls or something for everyone to reread over and over again in the synagogue. Um, like that's, that's the best thing. And I don't know like, how that hits you, but I think this is part of the reason why repentance is hard. Can, I mean, can you imagine like just the worst things that you've done or said or thought, 
like on screens, on these screens for all of us to just like watch and like eat popcorn and watch. I mean, can you imagine, like how does that, I feel like why repentance is hard is because, I mean, you just want to like shrink into a tiny little ball sometimes. And you feel like that sounds like the most horrible thing. And the reason he said that it is, that it is the best thing for us is because if that happened, you have nothing to hang on to. I mean, you're just like laid bare. And he said the reality of our life is that's all you've got anyway. All you've got is Jesus. To think anything else is just totally way off. To think that you can do something or, you know, or, or that you're a little bit better than this person or whatever, like all you've got is Jesus. And if you are just splayed out on the screens, like then I've got nowhere else to turn because everyone probably thinks I'm horrible. <clears throat> Your screw-up self. And I think for years, like I said, this would terrify me. But at this moment, gosh, my eyes were open. Um, and I, I mean, it was that night I decided I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, like, tell these dudes that I've known for, like, three weeks, like, this thing that I've been carrying for years and told no one. And I can't tell you, like, like how that felt right now. It was like, like everything changed. And this is kind of our last question. So why was repentance hard? I think it's obvious. It's terrifying. But why is repentance good is our last question today. And for me... It was, it's, it's hard to describe how I felt at that moment. But, you know, I had, I had believed in God. I, I was a Christian, I think. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Because what I, like, right then in that moment, what matters is I think that I was really, I was tasting the gospel for the first time. This gospel that I had heard, that I had probably, like, preached. I don't know. But I was tasting it for the first time. Because I think for a while I was holding on to something um, something that I thought that could save me instead of Jesus, honestly. This fear, this shame, this guilt that I'd carried for years, I, I, that night, I like traded it for the grace of God. And it's this like upside down thing, especially if you are a rule follower type A. I mean, it's all got to be in a nice little box. This is horrible, except it's the best. I don't know how to describe it. It's this upside-down thing. When I fully gave up, that's when I gained everything, at least for me. Jesus came in. He took it all. So why is repentance good? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light, is what he says. I think in that moment, the thing that just, like, screamed from my soul was, like, I was free. This thing that I was hiding for so long, it was this, like, giant weight on me. And to be able to say, okay, like I'm going to like confess this and move into repentance, like it was, it was free. I felt amazing. And then days later, we had the Bible study. Um, and that amazing, like I felt like that way all week. And I was like so pumped, like not scared. I don't know, by the grace of God, like sitting around with these guys, these knuckleheads, and telling them, okay, here's, here's some things that I need to like tell you guys. And it was, it was amazing. 
Instead of me trying to hide my sin, God became my hiding place. I want to reread that, that Psalm 32 and the, and the next couple of verses after. It said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Gosh. I mean, instead of trying to hide and keep up the, the persona, I don't know. In that, in that moment for me, like God became my hiding place. I could hide in God instead, in his grace, in his goodness. Now for me, that was a long time ago. Um, and I wish I could report that like that week, boom, rainbows and lollipops, never struggle with that again. It's not true. I mean, that was a, a thing that, a sin that was years in the making and it's taken years to, for God to slowly unmake that in my heart. Um, but it's something I hold on to, like with a death grip now. Just that feeling of realizing that like the confession, the repentance, that's where life is found. So why is repentance good? To quote our Mandalorian friend, this is the way. <laughs> if your sins, it, ugh, this, you gotta hear me when I say this. If your sins are real, that means that your savior is real. So why hide? Why say this is not a big deal? That's saying what Christ did on the cross is not a big deal, right? The more you see, the more it's broadcast on the screens, the more you realize how desperate you are for Jesus. And that's why it's so good, because that's what we need. And what's amazing is, you know, as much as we try to hide, I think, for ourselves, you think about God, like he, he knew all of this the whole time before I really even knew that the grace was what I needed to get out. Even before all of that, when I was, when I was dead in this horrible sin and lots of other sins, that's when Jesus said, okay, I've already seen the, the newsreel. I've seen it all. And it's the, I've even seen more than you even know is there. And he came to the cross and died for you, for me. So where are you today? Maybe you need to ask God to help you see your sin. Do your eyes need to be opened? You're trying to keep yourself clean, but it's killing you like it was me. Maybe you need to have sorrow over your sin. It matters because there's freedom available. There's grace and mercy available. Maybe you need to confess your sin. Are you like me? I bet there are people in this room that the story I just told is your story and maybe you're not to the awesome part. 
But maybe that could be today. I can tell you that would be a great day if that was your day today. I can tell you from experience. Maybe instead of trying, maybe you need to turn from sin and try, instead of trying to work harder, do better, be a better person, be a better Christian, maybe we just need to let go and run to Jesus. So my prayer for us today, just as a church, that we would be a church of repentance, where it's okay to not be okay, where we invite people into our struggles, because what do I have to hide? I'm a child of the King. And that through those struggles, God can shine his light into darkness. We're gonna end, we're gonna end with this quote, Thomas Watson, he's the man, he said this, we already read it, but he said, the true leaving of sin is when the acts of sin cease from the infusion of a principle of grace as the air ceases to be dark from the infusion of light. So church, let's invite each other into where we hide in hopes that maybe we wouldn't hide there anymore. Let's, tr- let's, let's turn, turn the light on. Invite the light in. The cross of Jesus, the gospel of God, has shined light into the darkness. And so, so we're about to do a response song, and I gotta just, just read it so that you guys can just prep your hearts because it's about to blow up in here, just so you know. We're singing this song, Step Into the Light, and it says this. It says, step into the light, step into the light. The darkness can't survive the fire in his eyes. So step into the light, step into the light. You were never meant to hide. You were made to be alive.